0: Good morning, it's a blessing for me to come to you today. I am preaching to you from Zambia. We are here in western part of Zambia close to the Angola border and uh, we're doing mission outreach here. We're busy building a house for ourselves on a mission station so that we can live here for about three months of a year and preach the gospel in this area, bringing the good news The message that you guys hear every Sunday and also in the daily devotionals to people in this area. When it comes to this area, people don't have access to uh, um, enough data that they can watch videos. This is now in town and in the bush they don't even have access to electricity at all or running water. They've never had for as long as what uh, we've been on this planet. There's never been electricity there or water or anything like that. So those people need the gospel. They need to hear the good news and they need to understand who they are in Christ. They need to know that Jesus was raised from the dead and that the life that Christ has given them belongs to them. They need to understand what we understand. And that is why we are here. So the the strategy that we want to follow is simply to put a mission station here get leaders from uh, or people from the different uh, rural areas here villages and equip them in the gospel of grace and so see that churches get planted and that we as dynamic love ministries serve as a help to different church organizations here we're not just working with one organization but the vision is to work with different organizations help and equip their leaders as well as help them in planting of new churches doesn't matter what denomination it is the idea is just to infiltrate these different denominations with the good news of Jesus Christ as well as then through these organizations see that churches get planted which where people know the good news. The plan that we have is to have a facility that can maybe, in bungalow kind of style, sleep just over 60 people, and then have a small uh, hall, or my wife and I were even talking last night, even putting up a... um, steel structure tent can even work uh, that we can use as a facility where we can train and equip these people and have Bible studies and uh, teachings once a week uh, and also daily when the training program is running. So uh, yeah, that's what we want to do. So we are busy with that. So keep uh, go to Facebook, if you're on Facebook, and there I share pictures on what we are doing and uh, you know, just the work that as it is progressing well enough of that we're going to get into the message for today but before we get into the message let us just pray together father thank you so much for your good news thank you for your love and your grace and your kindness thank you for the passion that you have for us thank you lord that i can sit here in my car and bring your gospel to people that are watching this message all over the world thank you that people's lives are enriched with your good news and that you use me powerfully today. Amen. Amen. Now, <clears throat> today I want to talk a little bit about forgiveness of sins. How that work. The, the death and the resurrection. I've spoken on this many times. But I'm going to speak on this again. And I think we can also just throw in Psalm 19 as well. A very beautiful psalm that uh, that Elena and I read this morning. I think we read it yesterday as well. And, or the day before and then just went through it again this morning just verse by verse and we just discussed uh, the different um, concepts in this, in this psalm and I just think it is so so beautiful. Now we are out here in nature in, in the villages here and uh, it's just beautiful to see the sun rise, the sun set, uh, the beauty of this area. And uh, with this, when, when we go to this psalm, Psalm 19, and we look at what is going on here, we, we cannot but uh, see why the psalm writer, when he looked at nature, said what he said. Let me read it. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims the work of His hands. The heavens declare the glory of God. The glory of God is eternal existence, immortality. That is what it is all about. It is, God is the self-existing one. The heavens declares that. Uh, The glory of God is also seen as the goodness of God, the reputation that God carries. And the psalm writer here, uh, it's a psalm of David, he just simply says that the, the heavens declares the glory of God. It declares the goodness of God. It declares his eternal existence. That's what it, what it declares. It says the skies proclaims the works of his hands. Now, what is the works of his hands? I mean, in the New Testament, we will say the works of his hands is what he has brought forth in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, wherein we can find that we share in the life of God. It says, your day after day, they pour pour forth speech. This is now the skies and the heavens. They pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. So he's looking into the sky and he's looking at the rising of the sun. We're going to see here now. And he says, this just declares the glory of God. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. I've lost the verse there. Let me just sorry about that. It says, um, they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. So there's no words. There's no voice. There's no sound. Yet the voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. They have no speech, but there's words. They have no words, yet and no sound, yet there's a communication. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber like a champion rejoicing to run his course so what he's saying here he says you know when we look at the sky when we look at the heavens at night we see the glory of god glory of god the good reputation carried by god the um the good that is said about him is it, uh, his reputation is shown. It says uh, his, his glory, his eternal existence is shown forth. And then he explains what God has done and what he sees in the skies. He says God has pitched a tent for the sun. So he's given the sun a place to be. And then he now it's talking about the rising of the sun. He says this rising of the sun is... and. Uh, let me read here in verse 5 it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber now why would it say a bridegroom coming out of his chamber what is the message that David sees when he sees the rising of the sun he sees a bridegroom coming out of his chamber he sees the excitement for the day ahead He sees the joy that is before him. And now he even goes further. He says like a champion rejoicing to run his course. Now he knows the sun is going to run its course. It's going to go from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun. And it will have a purpose. The sun's purpose shall be fulfilled in this day. And we're going to see it now. So when we think of David and he's saying that the rising of the sun is like a bridegroom. Can you hear the message? That in nature we can already see the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and the bride, which is us, and the union that there is between God and man, in the man, Jesus Christ. We can already find nature, that in nature, the message of the gospel has already been. When we get up in the morning here, The sun is just just rising and you just see the amber color and the sun rising. And what this rising of the sun signifies is a bridegroom coming from his chamber ready to get married. (laughs) And the day would then represent the union with his wife Uh, and the children they will bear and the effect that that would have in the earth the rising of the sun nature talks it preaches the gospel like a champion listen to uh, like a champion rejoicing to run his course like a champion rejoicing to already talking about the victory of Jesus Christ talking about the morning they went to the grave And by sunrise, when the sun was just rising early in the morning, when the first rays of the sun was breaking through, they they were at the grave and they found that Jesus isn't there. He rose up like the sun, like a champion over death, ready to run his course, ready to run his race in this world ready to be married to the bride to have the victory over sin and death manifest in the one that he unites himself with it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other nothing is deprived of its warmth isn't that beautiful Nothing is deprived of its warmth. We in the New Testament, we can see the bridegroom coming forth from the grave, standing up with eternal life in a victory that is greater than what we can ever have imagined. And he's ready to run his race. He's ready to be united with his bride and bring the victory over sin and death to to his people. And what I like about it, it says here, it goes from the one side to the other side. It rises and it sets. And what he's saying there is not talking about the um, you know, the setting of the sun as the light going out. That's not what he's trying to portray. What he's saying is it covers all of the world. Nothing is without the warmth the sun Gives. It rises at the one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other end of the heavens, explaining what he's trying to say. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. When Jesus was raised from the dead and the grave was empty, nothing was deprived of its warmth. Nothing. He has come to give full quality of life unto all of us in every area of our life he wouldn't deprive the Gentiles that's what this would basically have meant to Paul when he would have read that it is for all human beings now we find that David uh, likens uh, the, the, the rising of the sun to the law we now we liken it to Christ He likened it to the law. He goes on to verse 7. Listen to what he says. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. So what he's basically saying is, uh, when I look at the sun, it is like the law of God that refreshes my soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. The light he shines is trustworthy. And just want to say this. We're not against the law we as the new testament church we're absolutely for the law for the law points us to christ and we're going to see how the law points david to christ in the very psalm here in psalm 19 it's so powerful he says uh the law of the lord is perfect it's like the sun rising up it refreshes the soul the statues of the lord are trustworthy making wise the simple is exactly what the law does. The simple things that they can be righteous by their own works. But what does the law do? It points out your sin so you can know that it's not by your work. So it can give wisdom to the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Can you see what he's talking about? The commands of the Lord is like the sun rising, and giving gives light to the eyes. Now you can see things for what it truly is. When the law comes, we can see things for what it truly is, and what the law shows us is that we, it makes sin exceedingly sinful, so that we can see things for what it truly is, and now we can see and have the insight and the knowledge that we cannot be saved by our own works and that we cannot attain unto eternal life by ourselves. We've got the knowledge that we are naked and not clothed with eternal life in ourselves, that we are mortal man and that we have to have a savior, Jesus. Glory to God. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is pure. Fear of the Lord doesn't mean to be afraid of God. Fear of the Lord is basically the respect that comes from God. Uh, well, let me put, put it this way. Um, in Afrikaans we would say, respect what they I don't know how to say that in English. It's the respect that would rise in your heart because of who He is. Fear. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. What endures forever? His mercy endures forever. His love endures forever. So when it says the fear of the Lord is pure and endures forever, it's referring obviously to what is everlasting and what is enduring forever, which is love. We've preached about that a few Sundays ago. The love of the Lord endures forever. His mercy endures forever. So when he's thinking of the fear of the Lord, he's thinking of the respect and the honor that he gives God because of the love and the mercy that God has shown. It says in the the, the part B of verse 9, the decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. So there's nothing God would say that's unrighteous. There's nothing God would say that would be to the harm of humanity in the law. There's nothing in the Old Testament that God would ever have said that would have served to the destruction of man. Even if the law showed the destruction of, of, it would destroy what would destroy you, which is trying to find life by your own works. It says there are more precious than gold. There are much, uh, excuse me, there are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. So what David is saying is, is the, when we look at nature, we're seeing the beauty of the Father, we're seeing the beauty of God, we see the sun rise, we see the, the instruction of God that enlightens man, to see man, to see who we truly are, to give light unto man. It is more precious than pure gold. because pure gold you can lose, but how do you lose God? It's impossible. It says, they are. Sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Mm. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Now, this is all talking about the law. I've just spoken about the bride. Then I spoke about the victory of the resurrection of Jesus. And now we talk about the law here. It looks like a contradiction. But when we understand that the law points to Jesus Christ, it's not a contradiction. But let us see what David says when it comes to the law here. He says, by them your servants are warned. And in keeping them, I'm just closing the window here again. uh, There's a lot of flies here. So you need fresh air and you need... um, And and you you don't need flies. So you open the window and close the window. (laughs) That kind of a thing. So it says here, by them, by the law, your servant is warned. So what does the law warn us about? The law warns us about, we're going to see David saying it now here. It warns us about not living by our own power. And that we should only trust in the ability of God. And should we be able to keep the law, there's a great reward in it. Now the Bible says that uh, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him in Hebrews. And the context is faith to believe upon the Lord. So the, the law actually just points to believing in Jesus. Now listen to David here coming to a point where he's now very honest with himself. This is verse 12. But who can discern their own errors? But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. So David is saying, the Lord rises up like the bright sun. His law is like this bright sun. But who can discern his own errors? So the Lord rises, is like the law. The law shows us how to live. But I have hidden Faults. there are things that i'm doing that i might that might be wrong that i don't even know of forgive my hidden faults so here david says yes god thank you for your law but what about my hidden faults what about the things that i don't even know can you forgive me of that keep your servant also from willful sins for they are uh, for they for them not to rule over me then i will be blameless innocent of great transgression May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What is David saying here? He's saying, as I see the sun rising and I experience the, the warmth of the law, pointing out that I cannot live by my own works, I come to this conclusion that I even have hidden faults. What will I do about those? Because every day I discover uh, my own inabilities And I realized yesterday I didn't even know that it was an inability, but today I know it. Would you forgive me from my hidden faults and even my willful sins? Because they bring great destruction over me. Can you see how the law was leading David to the mercy of God? Wherein he says the law rises like a bridegroom out of his chambers. is like a champion of victory. It gives instruction to us. That's what he talks about: the law and the Lord. Uh, New Testament, we see this a bit different. He says, and it instructs me. And what instructs me to what instructs me about is that I have even got hidden inabilities that I can do nothing about inside. I cannot see my old own weaknesses yet my own weaknesses that I cannot see brings destruction over my life and what about willful sin I see what I should do but by my own will I cannot even do the thing correctly so God would you forgive that which I the the hidden sins and wrongs and would you please also then as pertaining to willful sin keep me from it So what does David say? As he sees the sun rise, he likens it to the law and he comes to the conclusion that unless God makes me righteous and makes me holy as a free gift, I will never have it. That is what he is saying. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Then David says, may this meditation, may what I've been thinking about now, the rising of the sun, you being like the sun, your law enlightening me, giving wisdom to me. And the wisdom that is given me is that I've got some what he calls here he says that 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 I cannot even discern my own errors but that you need to deliver me from where I am wrong that is as pertain to things I don't even know because as the law brings knowledge to me I realize that it can never I, I am weak then he goes on he says but keep your servant also from willful sins forgive and deliver me from what I don't even know I'm doing wrong and that is not unto life, and deliver me from the things that, deliver me from willful sinning. Now, how will that ever be possible? Deliver me from willful sinning. I want to go to Romans chapter 7. Talking about willful sinning. Paul, basically all the sins he committed was willful sin. (laughs) <laughs> and he mentions it here Romans 7 verse 9 he says but sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment and talking about the law rising up but sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the command produced in me every kind of coveting for apart from the law sin was dead once I was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang up to life and I died. So what Paul is saying here is that he was under the law. He was not under the law and he was alive. And then basically what he was saying is, was uh, the the hidden man of the mind. What he's talking about there is the man, the inner man, or simply the good that you plan to do in your mind, your pure motive, your pure intention, that, that which you want to do when you read the law, he found that when the more he tried to do it, he could not do it. And he came to the same conclusion as David. That as, he, as the law was shining and rising up, uh, the beauty of it was the discovery of I have hidden sins and I need deliverance and even willful sins and this is what Paul writes here in verse 19 he says for I do not do the good I want to do but the evil I do not want to do this I keep on doing so he says I don't want to do bad things but I keep doing it and I keep doing it and then he basically talks about concupiscence which is lust He says, all manner of evil lust was springing forth in me. So, Paul knew that you were not allowed to desire. He knew, he knew it. And then he desired. So, the question would be, how willful would that have been? When that desire comes. I mean, it is you thinking... There's hidden sins, things that you didn't, you didn't even know that was wrong. But then there were things that you know that was wrong, but you still keep on doing it. And then there's a frustration that is inside a man. And we find the rising of the sun uh, into is this? It's the rising of the law, showing to us that we need salvation from. I, I don't like that word from salvation from the body that is dying. It is of the body that is dying because that is what chapter 8 says and let me read that he says in verse 22 for in my inner being I delight in God's law but I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind so what was the law of his mind the law of his mind was the inner being what was the law of his mind it was his mind telling him what is right and what is life-giving But he finds that there was a battle taking place. This could not manifest. He says, and I was made a prisoner of the law of sin that was at work in me. And then he comes to the conclusion, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. So what he's saying is, is the inner man or the mind needed salvation from a dying body. And what the inner man needed was an undying body. If you read now in verse 8. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ has come to give us. So when the law rises, what does the law say? It rises as a sun giving us light, the enlightenment that says that in your flesh is nothing good, you're a mortal being. But the sun that rises is also the bridegroom that rises that says, I have, I have come and I come with victory. Like somebody, like a champion that's, that's victorious. That's how the bridegroom comes. The bridegroom comes raised from the dead, pointing to Jesus. This is what I see. And as he comes, he comes with his victory. He, he, he appears with his victory to be married to his bride, to bring the victory. What would the victory be according to Paul when he says the defeat that I am experiencing is because of this mortal flesh that I have? What would it be? It would be to be adorned by and clothed by a body that cannot die. Now, what Paul, what, the way Jesus did, did it is not by preparing another body, but recreating the body that we have. And that is what we can see in 2 Corinthians 5. Let me go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So what he's saying here, uh, friends, I'm just going to start the vehicle and run the, the air. Okay. So, um, what he's saying in chapter 5 here connected to Psalm 19 connected to Romans chapter 7 he says for we know that in the earthly tent for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed now he's not talking about a spirit living in a body he's talking about the inner man which is the mind which sees what is good and righteous and holy but finds that he cannot attain unto it and he says here We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in the heavens, not built by human hands. When he talks about the earthly tent being destroyed, he's not talking about dying and going to heaven. He's talking about mortality being destroyed and wherein the physical body attains unto eternal life, where we have a body that cannot die that is what it is about He says meanwhile we groan longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed we will not be found naked for while we are in this tent or, in a, or while our flesh is mortal that's the best way to word it we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed We don't want to die, but be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, now, uh, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So what he's saying here is, while we in our mind uh, want that which is good and we cannot attain unto it because we find that we are still in our mortal flesh and we want to see the fullness of God manifest in us and we don't have it, we don't lose hope because we do know that in the heavens there is this powerful Jesus Christ that is raised from the dead that has given us eternal life that has given us uh, th- that is eternal and immortal and we have a heavenly body doesn't mean the body is in heaven and that we need to go to heaven to have the body it just means that there is a body that is heavenly that is eternal that is uh, immortal that we can be clothed with and we don't want to be unclothed, we don't want nobody, but we want to be further clothed. We want our bodies to become immortal. That is what we want. Because when we are in mortal flesh and we're living by the power of mortal flesh, we find the good that we want to do, we cannot do it. But since we now have been given the Holy Spirit, we find victory over the deeds of the flesh. And we start to find the work of God right now in our lives, and we are awaiting the full clothing that's what it is all about that is what he what he has come to give us that is what Paul says in in Romans chapter 7 who shall deliver me from a dying body it's not who shall deliver my spirit from being in a body and give me another body that's not what he's saying he's saying basically who shall save me from this body of death Romans chapter 8, I thank God through our Lord Jesus Christ who has given us the Holy Spirit who shall also quicken our mortal flesh. So being clothed with a body that is from heaven doesn't mean we need to go anywhere. It's talking about a transformation that takes place and the spirit that is already now in us shall also quicken our bodies the spirit which is in us now stops us from living by the power of the flesh which makes it possible for us to do the good that we want to do. Yet we shall still receive our immortal uh, bodies. So, why am I saying all of this? We're actually busy with Psalm 19. The bridegroom rises. We see that we need to be delivered from willful sin not willful sin, it will only be him. Lord, let this meditation be pleasing unto you. What I'm meditating about, David says, I'm I'm meditating about you, your law, rising like the sun, showing forth that I've got even hidden, hidden sins, hidden things, even willful sins, but it also rises with a warmth that gives me boldness, which says, would you preserve me would you care for me earlier this week as i was reading this passage i was thinking only you only come with your sins to somebody that you trust you only reveal lord i've got hidden sins why would you think of even communicating that to god if you don't feel safe in his presence david felt safe in the presence of God to speak what bothers to say to be open you will you will you will declare your deepest weakness to a doctor that you know is the best doctor that will help you you will do that why because you know that he is not there to condemn you but to help you and see that deliverance comes your way Now, I want to go to Ephesians 2. Let let us first read this again. This is so deep. Let us just not just brush over over this. For we know that if our earthly tent, excuse me, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, how will the earthly tent be destroyed? It will not be earthly, but heavenly when it becomes immortal in the resurrection. That's what it is, or in the changing, in the twinkling of an eye. Many has read this if, this way. For we know that if our earth, for if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, that means if we die, we have a building from God, an eternal house in the heaven. In other words, we're going to have another body, not the earthly body, and we'll live in another body in heaven. From there, no need for the resurrection of this body. That is not what that verse says. It says, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, in other words, that house does not come forth by our own ability. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, tent people when they see tent there they see um that th- this is th- 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 that we are moving on this is not uh you know we're going to go to heaven and live in heaven in a body somewhere there but that's not what that verse says When he talks about tent here, he's referring to the tabernacle, which was not the temple. So what he's saying is, is that our mortal bodies is a temporal state of being, but that this mortal body will be made immortal. We'll see it in the next verse. For while we were in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So we are saying that there's a heavenly dwelling, an immortal body. Which is that? What body is in heaven right now, which is an immortal? It is Jesus. We want to be clothed with the fullness of Jesus. That is what he is referring there. That's what he's referring to. The only body that you have in heaven, the only life that you have in heaven is the man, Jesus. And to be clothed with him is he will have to manifest his fullness in the earth and basically, return, and then you'll see you, you'll see that manifestation. Let's read verse five. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose, for the purpose of being clothed with eternal life bodily who has given us the spirit as a deposit. In other words, the spirit has been given to us now in our, while we have our mortal bodies so that we can see the rising of the sun's warmth on us right now as during the day of the rising of the sun which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ we will find that we will be clothed by the very same spirit that we have now he will quicken our mortal bodies and then we will find that we are not dead in our sin anymore now I want to end off by saying this in order for man man's sin problem to be solved a new body had to be given that is it A new body had to be given. A new body is not a destroying of the old body into non-existence, but a clothing of the old body with eternal life. That is what it's about, giving eternal life to us. Exactly what happened to Jesus. He had a body that was mortal, then that very same body was clothed with his dwelling that was from heaven. His dwelling that was from heaven was the Father himself. The frustration that we have as Christians many times or as people is, especially if you're under the law, is that you, you feel that you die in your sin. Dying in sin is the real man not showing who you are not manifesting. It's as if there's pure motives in your heart, but you are veiled. And the new body is the answer. That is what we can see and I'm going to quickly close off with Ephesians chapter 2 and I'm going to explain it to you from Ephesians chapter 2. It says here, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience all of us also lived amongst them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath he's basically saying the jews and the gentiles they all were deserving of death because they were just mortal beings and what he was saying here is that they were basically dead in their trespasses and exactly what paul explained in romans chapter 7 uh, the good that i wanted to do that i could not do i couldn't do it and Uh, when I started to become legalistic I found that I died the inner man or the mind uh, that wants to do good cannot show forth it's as if something bad happens he then goes on he says here but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions so even when we as people couldn't show forth who we really are because of our inability to do the good that we intend to do because of the mortality of our flesh. Even while we're in that condition, God sent His Son, conquered death in the flesh and offers new creation to us. That now puts us at a place where the Spirit spirit of the Lord can basically rise upon our flesh and give us a brand new life, and that spirit of the Lord, I want to talk about that quickly, 2nd uh, Corinthians, chapter 3, 2nd uh, Corinthians, chapter 3, and verse, the last verses, it says here, even to this day when Moses is read a veil covers their hearts that veil that covers the heart uh, talks about your heart that might be pure but as you read the law it cannot show forth because the veil is mortal flesh that is the veil so when you read the law what the law does is it engages your flesh and will engage the physical body which is mortal the 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 pure motive the pure heart cannot show forth that's why the solution to the problem would be to have an immortal body that is what it was to give eternal life to us even to this day when Moses read the veil covers their heart but whenever excuse me whenever anyone turns to the Lord In other words, we're not looking at the law anymore. We're turning to the glorified, resurrected man that can never die. We look at him now. The veil is taken away. Then all of a sudden, the good that we want to do, we can do. Now, the Lord, the physical man, Jesus, who's raised from the dead, is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from what I've just explained in Romans chapter 7. And what, I, what, what David mentioned in Psalm 19. And we all with unveiled faces. Contemplate the Lord's glories. In other words. We look at the resurrected Christ. We're not putting our hope in the law anymore we find that the law has pointed us to our inability and unto Christ and as we say the resurrected Christ bodily when we see that physical body raised from the dead the effect it has on us is the spirit the Lord is the spirit the physical raised Jesus Christ is the spirit that does the following It says, and we all with unveiled face contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into the very same image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So the man Jesus raised from the dead is the very life force or spirit that Quickens us, that makes things new for us, that puts us in a place where we are not veiled anymore, but where the pure motive of love and kindness and goodness that's in our heart can be manifested because we're contemplating, we're beholding a new body, we're beholding a raised body, and we are saying, He was raised from the dead and He's delivered us from what from being veiled by our mortal flesh so our mortal flesh is not a veil anymore the veil is not on our minds anymore the mind Paul talks about the good intention the good that I want to do it's not veiled anymore it starts to show in our lives Why? Because of the physical resurrection and that we are co-raised with him and that the power that would uh, veil the purity that is inside us has been taken away and we are now shining forth as lights in this world. That is what it's all about. Well, I don't want to preach too long, um, but I think this is enough for you to think about and to ponder on. Let me end off by saying this, and I think I can just read it, (laughs) let's read Psalm 19, such a beautiful Psalm, Psalm of David, talk about nature, so when you see the sun rising and the sun setting, when you see the stars, this is what you can have in mind. Let me read it, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. What is the glory of God? The eternal existence of God. The good view about Him. The good opinion about Him. The resurrected Christ, the glories of the only begotten of God. The skies proclaim the works of His hands. We know it's not by our works, not by the works of man's hands, but by the works of God's hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Like a champion rejoicing to run His course. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he came out of that grave like a champion that rejoices to run his course, like a bridegroom that comes for the purpose of uh, marrying his bride. To do what? To unveil the bride. What would the unveiling of the bride be? To say, to take the the flesh that doesn't have the ability to show forth the purity that is in it and that is contrary to the purity that is inside. To take that flesh, the condition of mortality of the flesh away, to bring forth eternal life by pouring out the Lord, which is the Spirit, which is the physical eternal human to pour that out on us what's poured out on us physical eternal flesh and the spirit that brings that forth is already now in us and that's why we can live holy lives glory to God that is absolute good news thank you that you've joined me as I was sitting here in my car I must say to you that it is a a challenge to make a, a, a message to have 45 minutes quiet and alone to do this but man I've I'm so excited about this message and just bringing it forth I trust that this excites you is what it excites me and so I know it's going to excite people as I'm going to preach it to them in these villages glory to God Thank you for allowing me to serve you, all of you that support this ministry. Thank you so much for being part of what is happening in this area. Know that you are deeply loved and blessed by God. God bless.